Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm Lori Barkman. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself the business transition Sherpa. This podcast guides entrepreneurs from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. What do I do when I'm not hosting a podcast? I work with owners to maximize business value with my firm, small.big. And as a certified mergers and acquisitions advisor with Stony Hill, I guide you through the complex process of selling your company. Tune into Succession Stories for weekly insights to reward your hard work and avoid succession regrets. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for our newsletter at SuccessionStories.com. Here's to your success. Is this the year to sell your company? Don't leave your exit to chance. Stony Hill Advisors works with entrepreneurs like you to get ready for what may be the biggest transaction of your life. Learn what your business is worth by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. AJ Lawrence is the host of the Beyond Eight Figures podcast. Having sold several companies for seven-figure exits, AJ continues to explore opportunities to reach $10 million and beyond and calls himself a journeyman entrepreneur, finding joy in learning from others and implementing these insights. We had an interesting discussion about his experience building and selling businesses, dealing with issues, and finding a new path in acquisition entrepreneurship. This episode illuminates the appreciation we might have about the value of learning from other entrepreneurs and how to deal with issues at different parts of your journey. We can feel that we're the only one having tough times and that everyone else is succeeding. By listening to stories about how other entrepreneurs are on their journey, it becomes easier to see that it can be done. Enjoy this conversation about journeyman entrepreneurship with AJ Lawrence. AJ Lawrence, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm so excited to be with you today. I am curious about you and your background, your experience being an entrepreneur with exits, and so much to talk about. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. It's so great to talk to you again since, you know, just recently I had you on my show. So now... I now get to be beat You're up in the instead. hot seat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. From podcaster to podcaster, we love turning the mics on each other. And you certainly know how to ask great questions. I definitely love being on your show. And we'll tell the audience a little bit about it. Why don't we start there? Okay, cool. So yeah, I host Beyond Eight Figures and beyondeightfigures.com. What we try and do is talk with you know entrepreneurs like Lori about the journey they've been on to achieve where they are. I jokingly bought the podcast because I had failed repeatedly at going beyond eight figures. And when the podcast was for sale, I thought it was an interesting thing because I had actually used that phrase numerous times and kind of revamped what I was trying to do with my life because I realized it wasn't as cool as it would be to obviously make more than $10 million. It was really about that journey about being an entrepreneur. I just, I love it so much. So the podcast is talking with other entrepreneurs about their journeys, what they do to practice to be a better entrepreneur and uh, where they hope to be going with that going further on their journey. And I think that's a good story arc for today, which leads to my first question Mm -hmm. for you to introduce yourself. You talk about yourself as a journeyman entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? 
someone who's pretty good at being an entrepreneur, but not an expert. And I am not a master. Um, as I said, I haven't rocket shipped. You know, I don't have my own space company taking me to Mars. I've done some really good things, but I haven't done what I have set out to do. And I haven't created the companies I want to in the manner that I would want to. My efforts so far, I've always said, have been kind of thrown together. Now, it's part of the journey, but it hasn't been where I want to be. So I continue on and I hopefully continue learning. I think that's a really great framework that it's a journey. So many times mm -hmm. we talk to entrepreneurs about this process of building the company and yeah. then eventually letting go. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Tell us about the businesses that you created as you were getting started. Take us back to that time. <laughs> so um, going back into the 80s, I was playing with computers. Uh, I used to memorize coding magazines and books because I couldn't get to a computer. So I'd actually write code out. I don't know. I was a weird kid. But <laughs> the early 90s came around and I graduated and I was trying to get jobs and I just always, I just never seemed to understand how to get a good job. I always got like really crappy jobs or I would get close to a good job and then it would go to someone else. So one time I was talking to a friend who was just, you know, starting, I was working for a PR firm and they were talking about, it was one of the first times there was a thing about Big Mac, Burger King at the time, someone had gotten a rat, a cricket, a snake, something in the burger. And it showed up first in pre-web usernet discussion, which was this online discussion board that predated the web. And they were like, yeah, you know, and da, 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 our client now is all crazy. They want to make sure they know what's going on. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty easy. You know, I had one, spent way too much time playing around in usernet. But then two, I knew there were some tools out there to search it. So I put together a company and for about four months, we just did searches for this brand and then about a few other brands for anything negative. <laughs> and it went nowhere. Pretty quickly, we realized it was. As I was about to close this down and be like, oh, what am I going to do now? I quit my job working for a really bad data processing company where many people get their paychecks from. So I'll just leave that there. I had an interview with like, it wasn't a penny saver, but it was that type of like chamber of commerce newspaper from my hometown. My dad had pulled some arms or twisted some arms and they were just like, yeah, hey, okay, tell us some stuff. And I kind of knew it was burning and it was like, okay, nothing was happening. But the very last one, they said, oh, so you have one of these new things called a website. And this is really how old this long ago, this conversation was. I was like, yeah. He said, where did you get it? I'm like, oh, I built it. And they were like, you know how to do this? So whatever happens, paper comes out and it's like, local boy or local man, I guess at this point, I graduate, da, 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 builds websites for companies around the world. So <laughs> They helped you peacock your company a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. So all I know was within like just hour, I started getting phone calls I literally just started hiring people and training them on the fly. I had trained myself by going to Barnes and Noble and sitting reading HTML for dummies. We built a company really, really quickly. Within a year, we were doing a little over a million in billings, but I had no concept of like, my accounting was horrible. 
I barely was paying everyone, all these things. Long story short, one of our large clients, we were doing all their web development for them. They were this new hotshot agency. We're like, would you like us to acquire you? We'll give you, you know, they just said, oh, you don't need to talk to a lawyer. We'll help you with the process, everything. We'll make it really easy, all this stuff. So, you know, 24 year old kid said, sure. Gave them my company, let them have my bank accounts. And pretty quickly, they stopped paying my employees. And within about a month and a half afterwards, they locked me out, didn't return my phone calls, and then they went bankrupt right after. So my very first company, I learned (laughs) the hard way. Wow. What went wrong there? What would you have done differently? I mean, one, I was a kid and I was winging. I hadn't, this was also before entrepreneurism widespread. And while there are, in hindsight, a lot of commonalities with any type of business and sort of the needs and accounting structure and operational structure, just the phrasing and terminology were so foreign that anytime I even tried to ask for help, not that I asked for that much help, but Almost anyone who was 40 above at that time barely even used computers, let alone networking and internet and then the web. So yeah, I would have looked at the processes I needed to actually run the business. I knew how to do the stuff to make people give me money. I didn't put in place the structures I needed to run the business other than flinging against the wall and running quickly. Then obviously in the transaction, oh, sure, you like me. You're nice. Fine. Yeah. You took me out for drinks, took me to a nice dinner. God, that sounds like a bad date. But um, (laughs) it It was a bad date. (laughs) It was. It was. But it was like, you know, all the things I could have done wrong, I did, but I just had no real knowledge. So, you know, I look at it and it was like, all right. Later on, when I went back to businesses, I knew what I didn't want. I knew the type of partners I wanted. I still had new things to learn, but was still like, okay, let's be a little more careful and let's have a little bit better structure. I worked in different agencies, digital agencies for the 90s for the rest of it, a couple little side projects throughout that. But after the dot bomb or the bust of 2000, And then after 9-11, into that period, a friend of mine came to me and he wanted to build, this is once again, the beginning of Wi-Fi, now that it's everywhere, we kind of still remember how magical it was for like a year. And then it was like, yeah, okay. Right. This was right at the very beginning. And people really didn't have access to Wi-Fi except for a couple of things. It was expensive. It was hard to set up. And my friend had been in the towers. He had been working for one of the companies and had just decided to get coffee that morning and be late. So he had dedicated himself. He was never going to go into a building above four stories because that's kind of what he felt he could jump out. Wow. (laughs) And he lived in Williamsburg. There was a great cafe he liked to, but it was just a little too far Like he said, if he walked out onto the street and held his laptop out, he could just get a little bit of his Wi-Fi and he'd put his Wi-Fi router in the window. So we built a repeater. Once again, something pretty common and simple, but at the time they didn't really exist. 
we built some software. He wrote the software. I sketched a couple of interfaces, but he did all the coding and built a whole way of giving people access to the network and charging for it. We thought we had the next big thing. We were going to put these things in cafes around Williamsburg, put them on top of buildings. People would pay us. We'd be in our own broadband. Skip the broadband. Get your own Wi-Fi. Uh, made some good business deals in the way up for funding, not funding for development, but funding for the capital, the equipment we needed, which helped later because it was. Um, we found out quickly the landlords wanted us to pay gazillions of dollars to put a little box and a truck, you know, and plug in. So our business died almost immediately on the vine. Wait, so you didn't know the cost structure as you were moving forward. It was like a steam train. And then you got that information as you were. We knew that cell towers were going, you know, had some huge amount, but we were like, okay, come on. This is a box this big goes into the corner of something plug in. And then your people in your building, you know, you don't have to get it all wired up. You can offer this. And we were going to offer kickbacks and all that. We thought we had this great thing. And all these old landlords were like, one, who needs this? You're, you know, two, I get 20,000 bucks a year. I want, or whatever they got, it might've been 4,000, but whatever. We want that. And I was like, but it's a 10th. It's a 20th for the size. So we didn't find a single landlord. Oh, how disappointing. After all of that, you got so close. But like I said, the hardware provider had given us this great line of credit. We didn't use it, but when we told them we were going to close it, they had seen our software and they had seen our jury rig, what we had done with a friend of mine who was an electrical engineer, had built this repeater. They were like, wow, why don't we just buy it from you? We'll buy everything for it. So two and a half months in, another month of going back and forth with a few lawyers, because this time I did bring in lawyers, me, my friend, and then one third person, we sold the company for a million and one dollars. Wow, a million and one. That one dollar yes. was very important. <laughs> yes. It was fun. So it was just like, it was wacky and it was dumb. But there are value in even making the mistakes. And it was... One, we didn't know what we wanted to be doing. My friend had been definitely impacted greatly from 9-11. I was having difficulty after the dot-com bust and then sort of the change in the environment, you know, startups and working for different types of companies. So it was fun to put something together and still create value, even if we missed what we were trying to do. I guess you always sort of anticipated that it could be an asset that would transition to another entity? Did you begin no, with that in mind? we were no? surprised completely. I mean, the quick story was that company sold to a company called Ornico that then sold to 3Com that then sold it to Sco or whatever. But we know because my friend then eventually five years later went to go work as product lead for a um, campus-wide, you know, enterprise Wi-Fi campus systems. And he was like, it was my code. <laughs> no way. That's amazing. And so the buyer found you, I assume, in this process? We had reached out to them. They had, so this hardware company had um, like lines of credit for different hardware startups. 
Um, it wasn't quite called startups at the time, but like we had talked them into, okay, if we get this, data, we would pay a little bit, but then we would get this line of credit for the hardware and we would use just their hardware, we would build on top of their hardware, et cetera. So they were our vendor, but you know, they were, you know, they were 100 million plus company. Yet at the time, our software, well, I keep saying ours, but it was really Michael's software was this beautiful thing that we had no idea of the value because we had put it together to solve something else. And they turned it into something that then <laughs> got turned into a huge line of business. So let's jump forward a few years. Yeah. I think then you launched a digital marketing agency called the JAR Group. Yes. And you ran that company for about 15 years and then you had, I guess, two phases of an exit. Tell us a little bit about the JAR Group and your journey with that company. So JAR Group was a company focused purely on the, what I always called the transaction part of digital marketing. Anything that touched someone coming in to buy, um, to interact, to sign up. So we started off as SEO, um, quickly got into paid media. And then since we had always been providing digital analytics with that, we started building it up over time. At first, it was free until people started caring about analytics. And then that became a big driver. Over the years, we built it consistently on paid media and analytics with SEO and some other things thrown in. Then we grew very, very quickly when we started doing media buying, which became sort of a big thing in the late noughts. We got a few big clients. We got our own training desk, and it was like being on steroids. We grew super quick. How big in revenue were you and people? Uh, We got up to 35 people, 7.1, 7.2 annual billings was our top. Um, when I lost and, you know, at that point, you know, I still had systems that were built. I was still running it as if it was a $2 million company with like 15 people when we had 35. Um, you know, it was fun. We then, I lost my whale. I had to get rid of almost all my high end, high value generating people who would go in and, you know, talk to the customers about what their data meant and you know all that deep thinking stuff had to get rid of them because they were so expensive um we fell back down to two million um before i was able to revamp and restructure and then we started growing and then around four million uh had a severe case of burnout and was seriously just trying to um wonder if I was going to keep it going. Uh, it was still profitable, but it was that type of up and down swings. One of my ex-employees had talked with one of the private equity folks, not the private equity firm, but one of the people the private equity had worked there and came to me and said, well, you know, we would like to buy the media desk and some of your other assets from you. And we went back and forth and got them to pay a little more than they wanted. Um, But then I agreed to get paid out over time and sold about 80% of the company in that process that found another person to take a different asset. 
and then um, was just left with sort of the name and the you know the ability to um, to some aspects of you know mostly analytics at the end. So this was a strategic buyer, or this was a private equity group. It was someone who was working for the private equity firm that had looked at us previously, who had partnered, had remained, become friends, still don't know their relationship with an ex-employee of mine who had been sort of the number two person um, for me for a while. They had become friends. He had put, so the private equity person put some money to him and they were looking to go out and do this on their own by buying my, you know, buying the business unit this ex-employee had built up for me and that, and then built, taking on those clients, they were able to jumpstart it and use okay. that to then go acquire. And maybe they others. were bolting together some other assets. They went and acquired, acquiring. yeah, they went and acquired a few other media gotcha. buying shops. Gotcha. Right after. Who is your most important customer? The person who buys your business. Stony Hill Advisors works with owners to maximize the value when you're ready to sell. Get started today with a business valuation by visiting stonyhilladvisors.com slash podcast. So the business had some ups and downs along the way. I mean, this is a, what, a 15 year, you know, span of time, right? Yes. A lot of it was just, you know, realizing that growth was so much fun in so many ways. Um but not looking at what it was going to mean and not understanding sort of the knock-on effects of you know, what was going to be my commitment at different levels, not having a, the right organizational structure, um, even just focusing on growth and the type of clients that would feed faster growth for us was so different from the earlier clients that we had built our reputation and had sort of, you know, we had been with customers for five, six years with no turnover. And they would just kept, you know, as we grew, they would keep using more, but then, you know, we moved up, you know, which I thought was the logical thing, moving up more to the multiple hundreds of thousands a year type of clients so small business units of large global companies, you know, startups, you know, B or higher level, you know, large com- larger companies. But we didn't have the relationships. We were fighting with other agencies more, trying to compete, trying to get all this dancing around. So we lost our way. I lost our way, you know, specifically. So there's a couple things I want to just drill down on. One is for business owners who are listening, thinking, oh, wow, I could sell pieces of my business. So this is an asset sale. And we determine what those assets are and the buyer and you negotiated a value for, for those assets. How did that happen? How could they put a price on that? Do you know in the hindsight of the process here, ultimately how they valued those assets? You know, what was their determination of value? They were using some of it based on valuations we had been given in the past, but with a haircut, a haircut. But I had sort of gotten an offer 
for everything for even a smaller valuation. So they thought they were getting, and I was just burned out. I was going to, the first person to give me a penny, I think I would have said yes to. Um, so they came to me. They knew the valuations I had turned down. They knew the valuation because they had been involved in previous stages. So they came with a lower offer, knowing the business, knowing the value, and knowing sort of where additional opportunity was. Um, I learned a lot afterwards about SDE and sort of things I didn't realize I could have added things back. Um, but yeah, it's a learning process. Yeah. And it's good. And there is an episode where on our show, where we take a deep dive into valuations. So if anyone mm-hmm. is interested in that episode, I am and Christy, <laughs> uh, it's a good listen. So I definitely recommended episode 104. Yeah, so this is an interesting part of your life. You had spent so much time and energy building this, as you said, and you were burned out. And I appreciate you sharing that. That's not an that's not a great word. It's a word that connotes a health issue, maybe, you know, that just saps mm-hmm. your energy. Maybe it, there were other aspects of your life that were suffering. Not that you have to take us back to all those areas, but just to acknowledge it. And some people, they brush it off and they'll say, oh, we'll get through it. And you did, you got through the ups and downs, but then eventually after you sold the business, you know, what did that feel like? And did you have a plan for what you were going to do after you exited? No, it's not, not a year, but in hindsight, it feels like it was a year. There was a period of time afterwards where I felt like that I made the mistake. I'd done so much wrong and that this was sort of a forced sale. Now, like I said, I was also at the point where I was going to just hand it to anyone who asked for it. So, you know, I realized, you know, my emotional attachment to it wasn't, you know, you would, one of the things I realized about it, I started tracking the last six months, how much I was sleeping, um, my weight, uh, working out, drinking um, more than a few things. And I realized, you know, I had dropped to under, uh, I think it got as low as around just around five hours a night of sleep. I was up around four to four and a half drinks a day, uh, put on 30 pounds, uh, working out maybe once a week. It was, you know, all these things at the end. And it's like, oh, yeah, there might have been a few other aspects in this. Um, afterwards, as I, you know, first I tried to just, get back into the agency world, had a bunch of talks and, you know, almost right back to where I was when I started my first company. A lot of great interviews, runner up again and again for different types of senior roles at places and was like, okay, another bridesmaid situation. Um, Someone needed a little bit of help with his startup. So I became an advisor and sort of training their CMO. They had brought our head of marketing and they were like, why don't we just, you know, call, you know, why don't we hire you as a CMO? And then I was like, I didn't want to do that. So we agreed to kind of do it one day a week. So I picked up a few um, customers, customers, clients um, out of that, just being a few days a week, a CMO. And it's a great way to let, I mean, this is, and I, it's hard, you know, when you get paid a lot to kind of go, hmm, 
and you know you help people grow and you're figuring out ways that you know, individual people can build their talent it's wonderful but for me i realized after a while i wasn't creating any type of equity for myself i mean i could have gotten some options and i you know get stuff but it wasn't i wasn't building anything i was helping other people build and i am you know, too much of an agency person. I love helping people grow, but I want to also be making something grow at the same time if I'm going to do it. Well, you're an operator. You're a builder, right? Yeah. You like to bootstrap and, and take things from A to Z. So uh, you were finding your way, which makes sense. You have found your way. And today you are mm-hmm. doing a number of things. I, I call it sort of this portfolio of things that you're doing, <laughs> right? You have the investments that you're you're working with startups and and yeah. companies that as an advisor as an investor why don't you share a little bit more about that one of the nice things you know that i kind of did realize um i before i before i sold but then definitely after i sold you know i i was an accredited investor i am an accredited investor so i started talking to different startups and i invested in some now at first you know, almost fell into the same thing. I invested quickly into a, a handful of ones and realized, okay, I have no idea. I'm just going to whoever's nice to me. And so had to kind of change that. But then I started looking for companies that if they were doing something interesting and I could help them by connections, by advising, by you know, connecting with the, you know, the founder about just the process of growing, you know, having spent more and more time of kind of going, ooh, yeah, maybe I did that wrong in hindsight. Um, and just kind of sharing that with people. I started liking that a lot more. So I started working with, um, there was one company um, called Alpha that just recently um, got acquired. That was really good. Great, great, um, great fun company. Um, I enjoyed i invested in a company well alt.co is a really sweet company that they're creating sort of a um they started off as a content site talking about alternative investment assets but now they're sort of they have their own fund they have a paid newsletter they do all this cool stuff so you know got my hands dirty by sort of seeing what was there in the process um started playing around with different marketing concepts uh i spent a year flipping content websites uh, buying those teeny little websites and seeing if i could flip you know just put a little seo love and then sell it for one and a half times you know five thousand ten thousand a pop and it was fun but that space is so similar to others but they had their own processes um, I got into the funnel world you know all those crazy build a funnel and all that just to see how people were doing it because once again these people are doing really interesting types of marketing and it's very similar just different vocabulary to more you know i don't want to say sophisticated as well, but more traditional you know even in digital i think what happens a lot of times when you see these bursts of whack wacky crazy mom and pop people doing whatever the latest viral xyz marketing is tiktok etc it's that they're seeing things that everyone knows as a marketer works 
but they're putting them together in combinations that someone who has more experience says, oh, you can't do that and that. That won't work. Well, it doesn't work if you do it this way, but if you do it that way, oh my, yeah, it's, sorry, I'm talking on a podcast using hand gestures. <laughs> it's the idea that you can put things together in combinations for marketing that may not work in one manner, but just twisting it a little bit all of a sudden becomes that amazing flavor combination that everyone raves about. Right. Seems like you are really trying to, as you described over your career, finding something that's new, that's different, that's innovative and enabling it to grow and sort of helping it grow. You're mm-hmm. also interested, I know in today's portfolio of what you're interested in is acquiring companies. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. How are you going about your search? Okay, well, um, working a little bit with Elliot Holland, who I know you've spoken with, um, Elliot's been great. So I had very early on found something, thought I was going to love it, um, and quickly threw LOI together. Uh, I had taken Walker Dable's course. I had bought a bunch of books on this, thought it was going to be one, two, three. Um, hired Elliot to look once they had accepted it, and it turned out very quickly they were fudging their books like no tomorrow. So Elliot was just like, mm, I think we should just move along. From that process, Elliot and I became friends. Um, and I just love his approach to looking at what is possible in the you know in the acquisition entrepreneurship. He helped me develop a scoring process. And what I've been doing is, you know, working with some people on my team, we evaluate X deals. You know, I try and evaluate a certain amount of deals per week and I'm way behind. But, you know, with my team, we look at those and then start reaching out and trying to get to conversation. I'm actually waiting to hear on an LOI um right now for a very interesting company i i don't know what to say like all of a sudden i kind of written off because they hadn't returned my phone calls after saying oh yeah this is great we'll talk you know we'll get the paperwork back crickets and um then they just invited me out to lunch tomorrow so i have no idea it it can happen yeah sometimes uh you know time kills deals sometimes uh, people come back around I think people who are listening, some of whom might be acquisition entrepreneurs like yourself, some might be thinking about selling. And it is quite common to find potential buyers out there who, like yourself, right, are sort of self-funded and and looking to do a deal. What does it take for you to put an LOI together? What information do you need? Well, predominantly, (laughs) a lot of Googling um, is what I... Google and now SMB Twitter. But... um, some of it is looking at the deal because what I'm building and I've continuously trying to refine though is the criteria I'm looking for and the type of deal I'm looking for. Um, I have my own resources, um, but I'm predominantly relying on being able to acquire a company and fund it through the SBA um, 7A. I, I don't know the technical term, but the SBA acquisition um, loans that can provide up to 5 million in capital. You know, you have to have at least 20%, well, 10%, but usually 20% down with some seller financing. So I am trying to look for U.S. based companies that have 
different criteria. And when I put together an LOI, I'm trying to tell a story, try and keep it clean and concise because I've seen so much legalese in some of these. But I want to tell a story of like whatever I know the seller is trying to aspire to beyond the price, even though the price is 95, 98, 99% of everything, trying to at least frame it within the story that they're trying to talk about in their sale. Um, for one person, I really put it up about turning them into, because there were certain conditions, they can't continue working for the company after the year, but I could make them emeritus, you know, the the sort of, the advisor emirate, you know, emeritus, I'm massacring that, but basically put them up as sort of the founder and have, you know, their likeness on the site for X amount of years, doing things that would, you know, this person wanted their ego, another one wanted to know that his employees were going to have multiple year contracts, you know, just talk to that, talk to the financial structure and put together something that, or at least the way I'm trying to approach it is puts us into a point where we can have a deeper conversation about their numbers. I can go out and talk to banks and get them the money they want if it's legitimately, if the quality of earnings is legitimately strong enough to supply, to not supply, to back the offer that I've made for the company. Okay. And so to get to that point, the business owner has shared with you some tax returns or financial statements or? So far, what I've had are all broker-based and they're SIMs, um, you know, just sort of uh, multiple page documents, some unaudited um, financials, some projections, usually um, an org charter to a basic, you know, questionnaire that are outlining sort of where the revenue has been, at least in what you would see in a quick structure. So, you know, having done those for years, um, you look for certain things, you look and you try and make assumptions. What I try and look for is the how valid do I, does it feel that this business is ongoing? How valid is just from a light, you know, external type of view, how valid is the earnings, the SDE? Is this something where it's all one-offs or weird things or this and that, and I'm going left and right? Um, then I'm going to go away. Is the revenue jumping for no real reason over the past year? You know, I look for something consistent there that has the foundation to grow. Gotcha. And then you'll put together an offer and then and the process gets negotiated from there. And I know you haven't closed anything yet. So we'll, yes. <laughs> you do, we'll have you come back and talk about Just it. Just small stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean, from my side, you know, this is obviously a process I'm very close to. And I think it's as an M&A advisor and I work both yeah. side and sell side. I'm very curious because, you know, here you are in the seat as a buyer. And this is what I often tell the sellers is that value is determined by the buyer in the private markets. And that's an infinite number, right? It, because the permutations of how value is perceived is obviously from the buyer's perspective. And you saw this in your, in your story, you know, you saw it mm -hmm. numerous times when you got offers and how they determine value, you know, varied, but it's very important. I think for sellers to understand 
what can trigger that discount along the way. And again, you shared some of that in your experience. And now as you are looking to make that investment in a business, you're probably using some of those life lessons and business lessons that you got hard knocks right? Um, and helping you make some good decisions. So I really appreciate you sharing that just to kind of wind down here. I love to ask all of my guests if they have a favorite quote. I know you probably have many up your sleeve, but is there one that you'd like to share? There's one I've jokingly been saying with my kids recently. Um, I used to have some crazy stoic thing thinking it was cool. And, you know, there's been different business ones. But the one that always I go back to when I'm put on the mark, because my kids, we were talking about that about a year ago was, I am what I am. And what I am. So Popeye, I am what I am. <laughs> Popeye. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, there are so many things I do wrong, wrong, you know, in quotes about the approach. There is, you know, I yearn to develop an elegance in my approach, a sophistication in how I evaluate, how I grow, how I do different things. Yet most of the time, you know, I'm sweaty, sloppy, and, you know, <laughs> tripping over my own feet. Yeah. But if I keep moving and I keep doing it, yes, I'm never going to dance like Fred Astaire, but I will be able to at least enjoy being on the dance floor. So I am. Enjoy the journey. Yep. You are who you are. Absolutely. And you accept who you are. And that's amazing. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on AJ. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's a great way to find you online? The most basic way is please come check out beyond8figures.com and uh, sign up for the newsletter or listen to a few shows, you know, see, see if we talk to you. You know, we really do try and get into what it means to be an entrepreneur and the journey you go on as one. Um, otherwise, look me up on LinkedIn. I am generally, there are a few new, you know, a few other people out there with AJ.Lawrence, but if you put it AJ.Lawrence on LinkedIn, I usually show up first. And anyway, I'm the guy who looks a little weird on the picture. So it should be easy enough. Oh, it's a, it's a very handsome picture. You're not weird. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, AJ, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your journeyman entrepreneurship yeah. experience. I think it's important that on this show, we celebrate when people have successes. And I think it's also important to celebrate when we have those lessons learned. And I really appreciate you sharing your hindsight with me and with the audience today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Lori. I really do appreciate it. So to listeners, thank you so much for all of your support. Catch Succession Stories on your favorite podcast player or YouTube and subscribe to the show. If you want to maximize the value of your business and plan for future transition, reach out to me for a complimentary assessment at meetlauriebarkman.com. Join me next time for more insights from transition to transaction. Until then... Here's to your success. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand what creates value and what detracts from it, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Hundreds of business owners have taken my complimentary business assessment. As a first step, schedule a call with me by visiting meetlauriebarkman.com. That's meetlauriebarkman.com.